0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Town Hall, our newest open panel discussion podcast about tackling the internal issues preventing progress within the Black community. I'm your host and moderator, Brianna Rhodes, and today we will be discussing complexities within the African diaspora. Before we begin, allow me to introduce my lovely panel of guests. So, first off is Dr. Lucretia Taylor. How are you?
1: Fine, thanks for asking.
0: Great. Next is Tiffany Rosier.
1: How are you? Good. How are
0: you? Next is Brandon Hall. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry Happy to be here. Okay, great. And next is Dr. Marguerite Heinrichs.
2: Greetings. Hello. Perfect. Hi.
0: And next is Skylar Caesar. Hey there. Hi. And last but not least, not least. Um, Mr. Victor Sandifer.
3: How's everyone?
0: Good. How are you? I'm good. Great. So I want to say thank you all so much for being available for this discussion. We have a lot to tackle on for this episode, so I'm going to jump right on in. So as I said, we're discussing complexities within the African diaspora. I want to start off by asking you all, What are some of the key challenges disrupting unity amongst Africans, Caribbeans, and African-Americans here in the U.S.?
4: Uh, I believe that, uh, I don't know. I think growing up, uh, when I think about people who were uh, just African, and I think that they kind of isolated themselves in their own communities, but they kind of had to. A lot of them... um, um, it may have immigrated over. So um, dealing with that sense of community, they just went where they felt comfortable. Um, and then I know that like even g- growing up in school, um, it wasn't cool to be African and a lot of Africans were uh, bullied or uh, talked about and those kind of things uh, carry on, you know, or they stay with you as an adult. And I find it funny that now, uh, we are like on this, like Afro beats, uh, and everyone is trying to, you know, um, learn about their culture, where they're from. So, I mean, if I was African, I would probably have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Like, okay, you were, you know, growing up, you were like, you didn't care. And like, this wasn't important. And now it's like, now because it's the wave or it's, it's trendy, uh, to immerse yourself in that culture. Now you want to, you know, hop on board. So I think that there might be a disconnect there.
5: Adding on to that, I feel like people, once again, they naturally love to separate themselves into different groups. And I think a lot of the problems that span from this come from racism and colorism as a whole. I think that subconsciously a lot of people want to be as associated as they can be to whiteness. And that means being as far removed as they can be from being African. So I think that's where a lot of the division does come from. And on the other side of things, I think, I don't want to say it comes from an insecurity, but I think sometimes African people um, can emphasize the fact that they're African because they want to show that they have something that maybe Black Americans don't have. Mm
2: I'm so glad you said that, Skylar. You know, I was going to say that social media has really illuminated the complexities. I mean, beyond any academic research you could ever do, if you ever explore black Twitter or African diaspora Twitter, and you see the division among blackness and the um, alignment with white supremacy among many uh, Africans just to diminish black Americanness, it is stunning what we think we know versus the conversations that people are having on social media around their position um, to Blackness. Uh, And so while there are a great deal of folks that practice and believe in Pan-Africanism and unity amongst all uh, Black folks and all people of color, there are a lot of nuanced conversations amongst Africans and African-Americans, particularly around descending from slavery and who owned slaves and whose African families participated in the slave trade and how that now impacts us in the 2000s. And so uh, there's a lot of nuance there. It's amazing conversation.
0: Mm -hmm. One thing I want to kind of touch on is like, I know we've been kind of switching up between like African-Americans and black Americans. How do you all like to be classified as?
6: I can go. Uh, uh, I like to be classified as a Black American. Um, what we did as enslaved people, what our ancestors did as enslaved people when we were removed from our language, our religion, our heritage, our people, and all the other things, is we literally recreated ourselves because we're brilliant that way. And I think we should recognize that for each other and for ourselves. Like we did something astronomically incredible. <laughs> like most people don't pull that off. Like a lot of people ended up being enslaved or subjugated or there was imperialism, like the, it, they, they were decimated essentially. And we were removed from our homes, removed from our families, removed from our language. And we literally re kick a society that did not exist prior And then we gave the world jazz and we gave the world hip hop and we gave the world American cuisine and then we gave the world style and we gave the world sweat. We gave the world so much from this culture that being a black American specifically, there is no one else in the world like us. No one else shares our DNA. No one else shares our like our our genetics. We are such a unique, diverse group of people in this particular space at this particular time. I take tremendous pride in that. And so calling myself a black American is I'm always... Because we we are like there's nobody else in the world going to be black American ever again. Mm
0: -hmm.
6: We are it. We are the blueprint. If you're going to be black American, you come from this heritage. Mm -hmm. So I just I'm always go with black American. While Mm -hmm. my ancestors may be African, I am, in fact, part of a new wave of human beings that showed Mm -hmm. up on the planet a few hundred years ago. So I will always be a black American. Okay.
0: Does anyone else have thoughts on that? Okay, because I want want to know more about that because, you know, some people are like, they come from like a Caribbean heritage, but they're born here. So does that consider them as like a, or just, you know, they come from African heritage, but they're born here. How does that classify? Because I've always been confused with that. I guess
6: we don't talk about immigration enough because immigration has such a, leaves such a bad taste in your mouth. There are people who immigrate to this country, have their children here and raise them. And we don't beef, you know, Italian Americans and French Americans for coming from other places and coming here. The only time you see this conversation with contention is when you talk about people who share complexion.
2: Right. You know, you and they're of, clear. They're very clear on who they are. Very they're Caribbean American or Kenyan American or Ghanaian American or Malian America. They're, exactly. They're clear. And I think because so. Black
6: Americans have not been told that it is okay to embrace the fact that we did some shit that nobody else managed to do. And then we gave you some things that y'all never had before because of what we managed to do. Like this idea of like black pride goes way deeper than what you look like. It is essentially, we have given the world a cultural heritage. Like hip hop is global. You know, Black American food is global. When people, like me being a chef, I talk about that a lot because it is a thing that people miss all the time. America has a cuisine, most people don't think so, but that's because you fail to recognize that Black Americans are the ones who created it. If you go ahead and say that Southern food is just American cuisine, we'll all be okay, but the, the, you keep trying to push us into a corner. I'm like, no, Black America is a whole ass culture in and of itself, Absolutely and we have right. to be okay with embracing that. When someone goes, well, what are you? I'm a Black American. What does that mean? Well, you want to talk about Billie Holiday, or do you want to talk about Satchmo, or do you want to talk about Edna Lewis? Who you want to talk about?
2: No, they want to talk about Wanda from Martin, and you know, Tyler Perry, right?
6: And but not us. And so when people talk about extracting our talent and extracting what we do. You're talking about extracting the gifts and brilliance of Black Americans, not just this kind of global idea of Blackness. Because again, if you throw us into this global idea of Blackness, it dilutes who we are and what we accomplished and what we managed to do, even in the horrid state of slavery. Like we mm-hmm. managed to build a whole ass nation on the back of something that traumatic. Like, why don't we have more pride about that? Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, there's a lot of shame around Blackness because it's still rooted in poverty because we've yet to receive economic or restorative justice in that way. So I think that's a big part of it. Right. I see you about to speak, Brandon. You know, they really shame you for being Black. You know, they call us ghetto and they yeah. present these caricatures of our men and women and, and, and folks around the world embrace that. And people actually make money off of that. So, yes.
4: I just wanted to uh, add that I find it interesting, like when Tiffany was talking about um, like hip hop and uh, you know just some of the different things that Black Americans do. Because uh, the only time I really have ever seen this big debate about are you black or are you African American or uh, you know what are you? I know it was like a big thing on Twitter, uh, like I say a couple of years ago with Cardi B and how she identified. Um, and I do think that uh, again. Uh, that certain people uh will use certain ways to describe themselves because it may be trendy at the time um as uh dr Heinrichs just said you know for a long time black people uh like to be black it wasn't it wasn't necessarily something you we're supposed to be prideful about, um, and there was an association with poverty, but now because, uh, you know, we have these things like hip hop or these different ways where we're creative and we are embracing our blackness. Now people are like, oh, okay. It's good to be, it's good to be black. Okay. So me personally, I just say I'm black. I don't really subscribe to, you know, uh, all of, you know, the different monikers uh, that are associated, and you know, I just kind of thought the whole debate was a little silly, just me personally. But mm-hmm. um, because at the end of the day, um, you know, we all we all came from the same place, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it, it just you know, and there are certain things um, in, in our culture that we all just um, inherently share, you know. Anyone mm-hmm.
0: anyone else have thoughts on that? So Tiffany, I knew that you were talking about like, you know, this is us, like you want to talk about, you know, Billie Holiday, whatever, like I'm big on For Us, By Us, right? So I want to pick up off of y'all thoughts about this, about AAVE and e and how that's becoming so much of a thing right now. What are you you all's thoughts about that? Because, you know, this TikTok culture, thinking like, thinking like, bye, Felicia, is just like a countrywide thing like how are y'all you all's thoughts on like aabe ebonics and even us being able to use it do you think other cultures should use it or no
4: absolutely not and stop i want black people to stop explaining to white people what it means like that's not for them it is not for them like no like that is for us like um that's just it that's it i feel like uh we all grew up the same, like you, you know. We see <laughs> stuff on social media, and they say we really all live the same lives growing up. Like that's what, like that means something to me. Like it means mm-hmm. a lot to me. I just saw like uh, on social media, like the little comforter that everyone had, the little burgundy comforter that ever, like that stuff like that means something to me. Yeah. And like, like it's not for you. It, it's <laughs> not, I, feel, you, I feel like white people feel like they just have to be involved in everything. Mm-hmm. It, it's I don't know. Like I don't know if it's mm-hmm. a power thing. Like. That, like, no, it's not for you. I gatekeep stuff like that. that that's for me. I that's feel like
0: we
6: don't, again, you know, we, because we are often siloed in our own community and then again, collectively in the country, that we forget, like, there are other examples to look to. So if you, um, if you look at like a country like South Korea and you go to Korea, they speak Korean. And if you speak Korean and you're not from Korea, they are first surprised and then they're kind of impressed because the expectation is that you're not from Korea, we don't expect you to speak Korean. So for me in the United States, one of the ongoing challenges when you have a bunch of different cultures living together is how do you first live within your own and protect it and then live with everybody else and respect it. And so it's kind of like, why can't we have our own language? Everybody else does um you know you can be multilingual when people ask me how many languages i speak i usually like i speak sarcasm i speak aabe i speak ebonics i speak a little french and i'm working on my italian so like for me it's a legit language it's how we talk to each other it's how we express ourselves and it's unique to within our cult our community and our culture so i feel the same way i would feel if i had gone to another country and someone was like why didn't you even bother to figure out how to order a cup of coffee and say hello it's just respectful to do not mm-hmm. because I'm trying to assimilate that culture, but because I'm respectful of the fact that it is how they communicate with each other. I mean, I would tell people, anytime you say, I love you in a different tongue. You have to recognize the fact that there's something you need to respect about that. That doesn't necessarily belong to you, but you need to be able to respect what's going on and participate in a way that makes sense. And so with, you know, with how we speak to each other here, it's the same way. I'm mean, like, we say, I love you to each other in a very unique way. And I don't think everyone needs to be invited to that party all the time, but they need to respect it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really
4: love my, uh, where are you going to go, Dr.?
2: Yeah, yeah,
4: I just right, was just going to say
2: that our attempt to, again, um, appease white society has really brought AAVE to the forefront. I believe it was in the late 90s when there was an a educator that attempted to, you know, normalize, you know, Ebonics and, and try to attempt to get it taught in school. And it really got convoluted. And I think a lot of our culture gets convoluted and presented as something far less rich than it really is. And so... Um, it, I feel that those conversations are very surface level when we're not talking about the reason that we don't know standard American or King's English or whatever you call it, is because we've been systemically locked out of public education for over 50 years, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that public school is specifically designed to lock out black folks. You know, like we're not having those conversations either. So it's, it can be frustrating.
6: And before I cut anybody else off, I just want to point out the fact that we have how many dialects in the motherland? We were pulled from the motherland. We created our own language amongst each other, even though we were from all different places in Africa. So we all figured out how to speak to one another that way. And then we were told we were not allowed to. It was illegal for us to learn how to read and write. And so we had the audacity to still learn English, even though we were not allowed to learn to read and write. Like y'all, we dope as shit. Like I don't understand how this is still even an argument amongst ourselves. Like we figured out how to learn not only the language of the slave master, but each other's languages enough to create a brand new nation of people. So I don't, I don't even know why it's up for conversation.
4: I think uh, with me, I'm 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 pretty blessed. Uh, I work in a charter school, so there aren't any um, white kids there. It, um, they're only Hispanic and young black kids, and. I love the fact that I'm able to teach history in a way where they can actually understand it. And I, I get right down there. Like we just talked about the American Revolutionary War. And I was like, so all right, y'all, why was America beefing with Britain? And that that that, that engages them though, you know, versus saying something more formal, you know, that, that's like, okay, we can we can we can understand this, we can process this. So just being able to even speak to them in that way. Um, and having them make those connections and having it stick with them and then seeing like the data for like when they take their assessments and stuff like that. And it's increasing because of being able to have that kind of conversation. I, I never had a teacher talk to me like that, you know, when I was um, in school, you know. So uh, I think that it's also important um, uh, in education.
2: Absolutely. My research study affirmed that, you know, my research study and um, I wrote my dissertation study on the impact of ethnic studies pedagogy on black student identity and empowerment in Oakland. And a big part of that was, you know, teachers being able to relate culturally relevant teachers, right? Teachers that taught culturally relevant you know, content, but also folks that did the critical professional development to recognize their positionality and how that impacts a student in the classroom right? Teachers like you, Brandon, have students that go on to do better in high school and go on to you know, graduate and go on to college. So thank you.
1: And I think about authenticity. Like, What do we say to young people when we invite, however they come, how, whatever language they're using into the learning space and the classroom space, and we validate that by not correcting them to say it this way or by not asking them to code switch. And the authenticity that then shows up and, and the desire to learn, the desire to be in spaces. I mean, think about all the young people that are in spaces that that shun them for using their own language. They all of a sudden don't love going to school. They don't want to be in spaces where teachers are constantly correcting them. And that leads to other choices probably down in life. And so, you know, even myself, when I show up in workspaces, I I want to be in workspaces where I can be authentic, where I don't have to be, you know, pressured. And so, we have to extend that to our young people. We have to create spaces and let them know that this is okay. Use what ang- whatever language is available to you, and you are welcomed. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. I second the thank you, Brandon. <laughs> Sounds good. So, I want
0: to kind of like shift a little bit to talk about that because you know that's something that we all I feel like we all relate on no matter you know how far down the line we are with our African ancestry or who we know and how far we know down to generations that's something I've always wanted to explore but I want to know I think there's something like you all said there's something natural that unites us all by way of like the African Americans Black Americans Caribbeans and Africans we talked about a few similarities, but do you think there's other similarities that unites us all and make it seem like okay, you my sister, you my bro? I, I
5: think part mean? of it comes from the fact that other people, when they see melanated people, they see us all as the same, even if we don't always see each other as the same. It even reminds me of like in the workplace. I work in recruiting, and when they are making like diverse hires, of, they don't care where you're you're from Africa, you're from the Caribbean, you're from America. They just see you as First. And I think that's mm-hmm. a lot about why we're unified, regardless. Mm-hmm.
4: I think that nonverbal communication is also <laughs> extremely, <laughs> extremely important too. You can have a whole conversation with another Black person without saying a word, just, and we are just very expressive in that way. Um, and I think that that kind of ties us together as well. Also, um, I've always been pro HBCU. That's all I've ever um, attended. And I, I just remember a conversation I had with an aunt um, when I was looking at grad school and she was like, I feel like you should diversify your portfolio. Um, you've always been on HBCUs and you should, you know, try to go somewhere else. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Um, I have plenty of time uh, when I'm in my career where I'm not gonna be in a fully black space. Um, and I think that that uh, kind of uh, molded and shaped me because, you know, at, at HBCU, where the majority of your population is black, you might have a little bit of division. But when you get into those spaces where it is just black people, you're you're extremely grateful, you know, just to see, OK, there's somebody else here as well, too, like where you can have those uh, those kind of connections. I was in the army, and one of the reasons that I got out of the army was when I was deployed in Afghanistan. I was the only black person in my unit, and you know, there, like, it's not like I can go home at the end of the day and decompress. You know, I'm mm-hmm. stuck there for a year, and I it, it drove me insane. I had to get out. Um, so I think that uh, it prepared, like, just when it's when you're talking about communication and things like that with other Black people, it is important um, to recognize like when we're in that space that's white, that you have each other, and that means the world to me.
3: Yeah. Yep. I would would add to, I think there's two things that I think about, Uh, one of those being kinship. And I think that Black folks around the diaspora are all about family and kinship, right? So even the people that are in your community that may not be related to you, I know I had to grow up calling them auntie and uncle and like regardless of who they were like this that's my auntie that's my uncle and i still don't know how many people are not actually related to me because i grew up with so many people that in my neighborhood that was my auntie or my uncle or my cousin you know what i'm saying or even you have really best friends and stuff you start calling them brother or sister so like this idea of kinship is super super prevalent amongst most black people around the diaspora and i think that's something that we all identify with in addition that i think what we were talking about earlier about like the Afro beats and the rap and stuff like that, um, this idea of the drum and the communication through the drum, and just our ability, our all of our abilities to take that drum beat and uh, as they talk about historically, like the one, like on the one, like we're all the one people where we're naturally just about that drum beat and we just identify and something about it that um, that communicates with us all. And those are two ways I think in which we all can identify around the diaspora. Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, one thing i one of my core values is um uh Connection and being making sure that you connect with the people around you, and part of that is being able to be seen. And like one question, like uh, Brandon to your aunt's point, like you don't ask white people to do that. Like you don't ask white people to diversify their educational portfolio by going to like non-white institutions. It's something very specific to. Well, as a black person, you might want to diversify your situation because there might be an advantage to you being in non-black spaces. And you're like, but well, you ain't asking no white people to do none of that. Um, to show up in a space and be fully seen. I think is what really cements a lot of that relationship, like to be able to walk into a building, into a meeting or a conference, and you might be one of 10 black people in the room, and you could see that person, they might have a completely different life than you, but you know that the world, like Skylar said, the world sees you as black, even if we have the nuances between us, the world sees us as, as one group of people. And so to be able to walk into a place and fill an instant space of like a moment of recognition and being seen is like, there's a value to that that's not monetary, that you really can't, there's really no language for that. And Mm -hmm. I think because like if you're not a white person in white spaces all the time, you don't recognize that. So when like a black person does say, "Hey," you know, I walked into the building or walked into this conference and there was three other Black people and I had a, I felt a sense of safety or I felt like I had been seen by them. And then white people were like, what? I didn't even realize there was only three Black people. Well, like, yeah, because everywhere you go is not white people there. So it's, it's not a psychological experience you keep having over and over again to feel like you're the only one or you're constantly isolated automatically. And so I think that idea of being able to see each other, like fully see each other. Yes, girl, I see you with the braids. I see you with the complete, like one color suit on. I see you with the tie. I see your dress for, like we just all know exactly what we're looking at when we see each other. And I feel like there's, that fills you as a human being that makes you have a sense of place and and it grounds you on in the planet just to be like other people see me.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, can I, I want to add one more thing cause I know we were talking about it earlier. Um and I. I I think identity is so political in a lot of ways, particularly in America. And and I say that to say that like, even even though we might not believe it though, white folks was beefing and funking over identity as well. And like be like, I forget which world wars they were, but Irish, the Italians, they weren't funking. Like they weren't liking the white people, like they weren't white. And then when they get this, when they actually get whiteness, then they start identifying together. And so they all clumped up in this idea of being white. And I think for us as black folks, We have to understand that too, that the political power comes in in the majority and and just the sheer critical mask. And so though we might have very specific things that we all all are dealing with, different experiences, different languages, different upbringings, um, the one thing we can in America context is identify around this idea of race and blackness because that's just what it is. And I think if we start worrying about how much we're separate, which I think we do a lot of, and that's just how human beings are. Because... Ideally, black people in, in just in life don't identify or, or come around people just because of the color of their skin. It's all about core values and principles, and that's really how people identify around the world is through core values and principles. But while we're in America, we have to, you know, freak the system a little bit. I think identifying around blackness is the way we do it, and from there, we can all get our our, our needs met. But if you don't have no critical mass, man, like it's going to be ugly for you.
4: Yeah, I have a question about that. Um, well, i ask everyone, how do you guys feel about uh, just knowing that, um, that really um, when you think about a successful Black community, um, that a lot of them happened uh, during times of segregation where we were kind of forced to be together? Um, I feel very controversial in saying this, but I don't, um, I mean, since Jim, Jim Crow, I don't think that segregation necessarily was the worst thing, because I felt like uh, Black people kind of had that sense of community. So when you think about stuff like boycotts, uh, they were able to do that because they were all together in the same place. And even tying back to our last episode where we were about classism, you know, everyone that, um, even though they were different classes, they were all together, you know. So um, now that, you know, we have integration and we have gentrification as well, It's just like kind of like everyone is like kind of out for themselves. And I don't know if we necessarily have that full sense of community, because I know that um, even now um, we were talking about like last year, boycotting certain things. And I would see social media comments that was like, well, y'all got it. I'm not going to do that. I'm still going to go to this place or that place. You know, whereas when I think about, you know, in my grandparents' generations where they actually, came together and they did that without social media. So this is word of mouth, this is, you know, there was really a sense of community and, um, you know, and then another thing is just like, where are black people going to, you know, get this information and stuff like that, you know, back in the day, everyone met at the church house that, or, you know, those places. And now um, I don't, black people aren't as religious as they used to be. So, you know, we just don't necessarily have, those spaces uh where it's kind of like we're coming together for sure and we're coming up with one plan and you know we're structuring it in a way where we can be successful mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts on that
0: so we have time for like one response we kind of cutting it close but so if anyone wants to reply feel free to do so okay well i
6: was <laughs> of course i might have a response um i was going <laughs> to say the The narrative around segregation uh, is, I think, is the reason why um, you have a lot of pushback about it. I think segregation was actually useful and profitable for Black people like it is in most countries. Most countries are homogenous. Everybody, essentially, their features are the same. The language is the same. So no one beeps other places because of that. Um, in the United States, of course, I think they recognize the power in segregation. And so they move very swiftly to integrate black people into the rest of society and then create a narrative around segregation that was negative in order to prevent it from happening again. But I think it automatically happens. I live in Harlem right now. It automatically happens. Um, if you go to the, if you go to Brooklyn or the Bronx, it automatically happens. We segregate ourselves because we recognize the power in that in in not necessarily isolation, which is the narrative that gets played out is that there's isolation. I think it's this idea of community and collective thought and being able to share resources is the thing that they're trying to make sure doesn't happen again. And so, yeah, I believe that, you know, like segregation was that new wave and they were like, oh shit, no, that's too powerful. Don't let them all live together. What the hell are we doing? Break that shit up. And so they showed up and was like, well, uh, how can we do that? How can we get them to live in different neighborhoods how we how can we get them to see each other as enemies or competition and that'll automatically allow because human nature will kick in and then the rest of it will happen on its own and that's all you have to do is drop a couple of seeds and then the rest of it will, will flourish by itself and so yeah having conversations about how do we develop deeper community with each other even if we don't live in the same zip code anymore because community happens inside first and then it results on the
1: outside so mm-hmm. And can I just add one thing just to piggyback off of that is this concept that hasn't been introduced as of yet, but I think Victor's responses really um, triggered me in this in that we haven't said anything about care. Like there's community, Mm -hmm. but with community, it becomes a, a care for one another whether it's in proximity, whether it's because we look alike, whether it's because I'm the third Black person in the conference and I see you, sister girl, you know, there's something about if something goes down, where's my sister? You know what I mean? I know you in the all red suit and we're getting out together. It's something about the care that takes place in the community that I think um, really brings us all together is that, you know, there's that. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I think that's important. And I see it. I see like, you know, we are, we don't know each other too well. We're on different parts of the country. But you see, we're still united talking about this conversation as well. So you see the power in just having conversations online and or wherever you can. I think people need to make that initiative and just be proactive about talking about exactly what we, we have talked about within these past episodes. And I think just talking will get us um, through. So I want to thank you all for your participation in this episode. And um, thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Town Hall on the Polaris Network. Hope you all have a great evening.